this is such a perfect way to do that. And I'm not surprised that you're seeing um, great results with this because it helps people also like orient themselves to what copper actually does. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Experience where you get an inside look behind the top product-led experiences. Each week, you'll receive inspiring UX examples, proven strategies, and hard-earned lessons from experts. This is one of your co-hosts, Ramley John, and with Lila Rizal, my co-host, we're going to be chatting with Jessica Andrews. She is the product marketing lead at Copper. Now, we're going to be digging into how they apply the job to done framework into the onboarding flow that increased their engagement rate by 15%, as well as we'll see a magical success screen that really got more of the new users to install their Chrome plugin. Now, before we start, make sure to subscribe to the show to wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or Google Play, anywhere else, as well as we're on YouTube. Make sure to check us out there and subscribe. That's all for now. Let's jump in in my chat with Jessica. And we are going to geek out about frameworks, tools, and examples that drive product adoption. I'm super excited to just be digging here. This is Ramley John, your host, and we also have my lovely co-host here, Lila. Hello, everyone. And today we're joined by Jessica Andrews, Senior Product Marketing Manager. Did I get that right? At Copper, yes. the CRM for Google Workspace. She's uh, a neighbor of Ramley based out of Toronto, Canada. And we're so happy to have Jessica here. Big Copper fan, big Copper energy in the house. Big, big, Amazing. big, big fan <laughs> of, of Jessica and what she's doing over there. So we're so happy to have you, Jessica. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Woo-hoo. Yeah, let's, so, let's jump. Yeah, let's jump in. Yeah, we're going to jump right into it. Um, not going to spend a lot of time going back and forth, but I want to just ask right away, how do you define onboarding at Copper? That is the that is the big question, eh? So it's not just it's not just that onboarding is a simple thing that you can define. It it really depends on the organization. So I mean, this answer from a year ago at Copper would have been different than what it is today. But in terms of my specific role, I, I define onboarding as the minute that someone clicks sign up on our website and goes through the entire onboarding flow that we've set up. They've been using the, the product for 14 days. And then at the end of those 14 days, they choose to purchase. And that's kind of when onboarding finishes. Um, but ask again in a month or two, and it might actually be an extended period of time after someone purchases because we um, we have monthly plans and the trial isn't necessarily over and the onboarding process isn't over right after purchase. It might continue a couple months. So um, long story short, it's it's a work in progress on what that definition is for us. Yeah, I love that. And so it's um, it's interesting that for you all specifically, it's like really focused around the trial that you're talking about onboarding. So how do you refer to the stage in someone's life as a customer um, after they put that credit card in or they sign up for that, um, uh, you know, annual contract or whatever. Is that, it's not onboarding. So what is it? Yeah. So again, this is where it kind of all is, is a weird scenario because when we kind of sell to larger organizations, they, we do have an onboarding team that will help them in the first 30 days after purchase to get everyone kind of onboarded. So I guess it depends on the different team. If you want to ask um, some of our CS or team, then onboarding is a much wider term. But in my like very specific case, we've been focused on trial onboarding. So 
Um, I would say that it's a nuanced answer, but I would say that probably towards the end of the year, it's going to encompass everything. It's just um, when we throw out the word onboarding and product and product marketing, it currently means something different than what the CS org will call it. Very common, very understandable. Trying to align on all of those definitions ourselves over here at Yeah, same. Super fascinating. You said it's it's shifted. Like, how? Like, what's been that driver that shifts the the definition of onboarding uh, for for copper? Like, is it the the business, or is it like you know how you're better understanding your users, or is it totally something else that's like redefining what onboarding is? It's, it was, it's definitely the fact that copper has made the decision to pursue product led growth. That's 100% what it comes down to is that in the past, we weren't necessarily a product led growth organization, maybe we were but not really focused on it. And towards the end of 2022, that's going to become a bigger and bigger priority for us. So that's mainly why the definition changes because in product led growth organizations, the onboarding stage is very important. And it's the piece that drives the entire engine. So um, in our past life, more focused on um, kind of larger organizations and not necessarily selling free trials as much as we, we do now. Um, onboarding, that's something else. So I think towards the end, we're going to have kind of a hybrid model where there's going to be a need for both scenarios. But yeah, it's a <laughs> work in progress. Yeah, it's fascinating where we are in the same situation here, Lila, like where we have this hybrid approach. Like in, yeah. Lila probably has a better understanding. She owns onboarding at AppQs. Um, I do. And we have a lot of these types of conversations. Like I think before I joined, especially we were thinking about in the same way, like when a product person was talking to a marketing person about onboarding, it was probably referring to the trial uh, or a new person signing up for the product. Whereas a customer success or a support person was talking about a new person that just uh, purchased specifically and is like, talking to teams and setting up things and having calls um, and they are two completely different beasts and we are figuring out um, where all those separations are right now you know we're kind of at the baby step stage ourselves or it's like okay it's trial and it's post-purchase and then like within each of those sections there are also uh, multiple breakdowns that we need to investigate but we're like just in the trial and post-purchase, managed and non-managed uh, journey right now. Very common for people who are in um, who are starting out product led. If you're like, I feel like we're on stage two, and lots of other people are still on that stage one where you're trying to get the self-serve motion going. Yeah, I would. I would even say that a lot of companies want to be product led, but it's ugh, you, you're turning everything on its head the way that you've been doing business forever. So. Um, even these stages are exciting, but knowing that the, the true um, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is still further down, it's it's uh, it's exciting. It's it's fun to kind of see things change and and see the increases that copper has seen over the last couple months. Totally, totally makes sense. Yeah, you mentioned the pot of gold there. <laughs> I love that <laughs> analogy. You you kind of already alluded to it, and I just want to make it clear so people tuning in, because uh, this this question of like what is success for onboarding kind of changes from team to team from company to company uh can you can you rephrase uh, can you say it again like exactly what success is for onboarding at, at this moment because like i said you, you mentioned already it changed from probably a month ago to what it would be uh, next month so what is it currently what is success in terms of onboarding for uh, at copper 
Yeah, for sure. So the the overall metric that we're starting to think about now is comparing how many people have actually purchased after a trial versus the number of people that have signed up for a trial. And so um, making sure that those numbers are aligned across the organization, product knows what that number is and knows where to find it. I know where to find it. Everyone needs to know what that number is and what the percentage is so you can see it track upwards. Um, and then between that, there's a bunch of other stages that we're actually looking at. So um, we want to know how many people maybe are getting stuck on the email um, portion. So when they're actually signing up through Google authentication or if they're registering on our website through a regular form fill, are they actually getting the email? Are they clicking on the email and coming into the product? We want to improve that because uh, that ends up contributing to the overall goal. Same with our, our kind of six page onboarding that we do at the very, very beginning of a new trial. We want to make sure that if there's optimizations within that flow, that we account for it. So overall conversion to trial is the, the, the biggest metric that we look for, but there's also smaller metrics from within as well. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. I, um, I love that you're all like you're, you have different teams aligned to like a specific metric you know some people call that a north star metric in the ogsm world but there's all types of um, ways of that so how do you then align these different teams and like work with them to improve the experience is was like the metric did you start there and then work backwards like how did you end up getting everybody kind of uh on board for this for this big uh metric well, I would say that the big metric is probably like a week old at this point. So we've always kind of known what we want it to be, but measuring it has been crazy. I don't know why, but we have marketing using their marketing automation tools to get these events that don't match Mixpanel, which is our product um, measurement, that don't match our billing system. And so we are, the, I think we've made the most progress in the last two or three weeks where I think we've always known what the metric should be. We just didn't have the proper way of measuring it or we had too many different places measuring it. So we're getting really close now where we have different ways of measuring the same thing and they're all kind of close, but we don't know which one's the most accurate. So that's why I think we're, we're getting there. Um, and it's really about cross collaboration with multiple departments and just getting on the same page. If there's something that that automation can do to bring the right numbers in all the places we like to be, then that's kind of the overall goal. Yeah, I love that. And I don't think you're alone in that either. Mm. I think that is something that people transitioning to product led often underestimate is the amount of data and systems work that needs to work properly in order to power that. And what do, I mean, if you don't mind me digging in a little bit on some of the actual tactics you use to um, kind of unite your team, like mm. in the nitty gritty sense, like, did you have a cross-functional like trial team that spanned marketing and product or um, like check-ins or a Slack channel? Like, could you walk me through or walk everyone <laughs> through like just some <laughs> of those maybe nitty gritty tactics that you took to unite people? Cause I just like the reason I'm digging in, I just think this is a big struggle for people. So they would love yes. to learn from you. Um, how you would, how you came, how you approach this. Yeah, for sure. I think um, persistence, that's kind of the overarching theme is that I, I started off using our product metrics and then realizing that there were gaps. And then I started using the marketing teams and I asked questions about why are the marketing metrics and the product metrics different? Why do we measure them in different places? 
And a lot of times it was like, I don't know, I don't have a lot of time. And so I just kind of kept reiterating and saying, isn't it good if we know what all these metrics are and, and have a North Star metric, as you say, to to align ourselves to? And I think now that we have proven through the different places, every different way of measuring has gone up. Now everyone is starting to say, hold on a minute, the, this new trial experience is working. Let's all align on what the same place is. I think that's it. So I think it's just, it was time. Um, I wasn't able to get it done overnight. I wasn't able to really push towards a unified metric in, in one day. It, it took a quarter, I would say, to get to that. But I think we're we're almost there. So persistence and and just keep kind of promoting the fact that we should all have a source of truth. That makes a ton of sense. It, it's just interesting it took you a, a quarter. I think that's <laughs> that's something that people have to be mindful of. Like, like you know, getting people aligned on certain things sometimes can take take some take really really take some time. There, can you can you, maybe can you dig a little bit more into you got persistence? Like, were you trying to talk to the product team? It's like, hey, this is not matching up. <laughs> like, what what are, <laughs> like? Can you help me out? Like, what were some um, you know like diplomatic. <laughs> exercises or uh, approaches that you did to kind of get everybody in line on on the same page yeah i think i think it's um one way is a lot of kind of meetings where we had product and marketing and revenue the revenue operations in the same meeting where we would kind of try to share as much knowledge with how each of us were tracking so the product team was tracking a very small portion of onboarding which was their new onboarding flow how many people are getting from step to step, how much information are we collecting from there and notifying when certain events are firing. And then that kind of informed the marketing team and the revenue operations team to say, hey, wait a minute, we should change our metrics to match what you're tracking because the old experience had different trackers and now they're in the wrong place. So I think it's it's really like a, a learning situation and having everybody come together at one table or one Zoom meeting uh, to kind of share what they're doing and what they're measuring and say, wait a minute, I've changed this a couple of weeks ago. We sh you should change yours too. Um, it, it's a lot. And it's also, you don't want to push too hard and say, we need to do this right now because every team has their own thing that's going on at the same time. So um, yeah, learning together and making sure knowledge is shared is key. We're in the same situation. I think we shared it in the first episode here with with Lila, like some of the things she's she's doing, um, maybe like the app keys for app keys. Like maybe Lila, you want to share some of the stuff you're working on because like this is a really big problem that we go, especially if you want to work on onboarding. You can't just be siloed on one one team, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that you know one of the reasons that you're you can move success forward faster um, is by just having those tough conversations and saying like, Hey, this isn't actually matching up with what I'm seeing. I'm so sorry, but like, can we figure out where this is at? And also creating just more transparency across what you're working on and like what your goals are. You know, that's what I've done with, or tried to do a lot more of, um, you know, when I started running our AppKeys account is to just like, level up um, when a new flow is published, level up what we're messaging, level up where there are flows um, across the user journey. You know, even just that conversation, I feel like can um, add a lot of value and make people kind of start thinking about things in the same way and um, 
maybe get people more aligned. Uh, we also are building like a cross-functional team and doesn't look at like the trial in particular, but we're, we're focusing on self-serve onboarding, like as a whole crew, as CX, as marketing, um, you know, and really trying to like align the marketing messaging with what, what's actually happening with, you know, managed accounts and the way we talk to customers. So anyway, it's, it's alignment from product. It's alignment from CX. It's alignment from everywhere. So like, like you said too, Jessica, it's like, it's about persistence and being the squeaky wheel in a lot of ways, right? Like you have, and sometimes, especially if you're in a remote company, um, you sometimes need to share the same thing over and over again in multiple channels, in multiple meetings and say it again and again, because like we're all on a bunch of Zoom meetings. We're all inundated with information from every direction. So um, that persistence and that belief (laughs) is really important. You have to believe, I think, in, in that that this matters if we all get on the same page <laughs> and really care about it. Otherwise, you're just going to get frustrated. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Totally. Well, thank you. I guess that kind of leads to you're talking about building flows. And uh, Jessica, you've been building flows. And I want to highlight one of the things that you've built out here. And you've, you already can share some wins, some, mm-hmm. some wins yes. in terms of uh, kind of races here. Let me just show show this. And for people who are tuning in uh, through the podcast, uh, there's a screen here. It says, welcome, Juliana. Tell us what you hope Copper can help with select that things that apply. Uh, it says managing uh, sales pipelines. There's like five other options, process, automation. And then there's on the right side, there's a, a person on a laptop facing towards those those five options. Can you talk a little bit about like how you, you and your team has kind of started thinking about building this together and like, you said there's some wins. Curious what those those wins are for this. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one thing that we kind of found right after we launched our new trial onboarding experience was um, that most people would drop off the onboarding flow on the first step. And this is our first step: is asking basically jobs to be done. What are they selecting a CRM for? What are they looking to achieve? And this was important because we are still planning on having our our onboarding customized based on what jobs to be done they they selected at the very beginning. But we were noticing that a, a large amount of people were dropping off at this stage. And so what it was before was all of these stages like managing sales pipelines said, I want to manage my sales pipeline. I want to organize my key relationships. And it was written out much more significantly and it was very long. And what we did was we recently published this new page where we cut out half the content, half the copy, and made it very clear that we want you to select more than one option. And the um, engagement with this page increased by 15%. And it's only been live for a week, and we've already seen a huge spike. And so it's good news because the more people that get past this page, the more people downstream will get into the product. And if you're not getting into the product, then you know, it's, we can't help you if you're not trying out the product, if you're just kind of giving up on that first page. So um, that was a really exciting win. I don't think we expected that big of a spike, that 15%, um, but it's had downstream effects already. We've already seen, um, we've seen increases in the number of people that get into the product um, and engagement scores go up and it's all good news after this one page change. No, that totally makes sense. I I think um, it's something that maybe, Lila, what are your thoughts about this? <laughs> I'm guessing you're gonna say you love it because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've already um, taken screenshots 
from this trial and pasted them into our product channel, um, begging for a similar thing. Um, because to be clear, for people who can't see this, this is a full page experience that is like, you know, uh, built in. And then, um, you know, when you sign up, you see this whole screen taking up the whole um, page, which is really nice. I feel like it really, it forms a friendly tunnel. Um, I feel like, you know, talk a lot about how tunnels can be restrictive, but if you are going to do it and you do have a lot of like different jobs to be done, or you have a particular type of product that has like multiple use cases or multiple user types, and you actually do need to like have someone make a decision i've worked on products like that before like this is such a perfect way mm. to do that and i'm not surprised that you're seeing um great results with this because it helps people also like orient themselves to what copper actually does and i bet some of the drop off that you get on the screen is probably good because it's people self-selecting out by saying mm. that you know copper doesn't do what they wanted or whatever right. For, for sure. And I think the the other kind of nuance to this is that coppers, it, what we, we do know is it further down in this in this flow, we ask if this is their first CRM. And most people select that yes, it is their first CRM. And so for those of us in tech, it's kind of surprising, because I'm sure we've all used a CRM extensively in the past, and we still use one. But for a lot of the small businesses that we go after, they've never used one, they don't know what a sales pipeline is, they don't know what a record is or a contact. So by kind of setting the stage of asking them, what are you hoping to accomplish with copper? The idea is that towards the end, we can show them mm. how certain features work um, and in a way that makes sense, as opposed to assuming that we they know what an opportunity is when they maybe don't. Yeah, brilliant. Sorry to interrupt you, Ramley, yeah. but I think it's such a huge and important point that we do so often as marketers and as product people, like we assume that our users know so much more than we do, uh, than they do, I mean, that they know the same amount as we do, or they have the same perspective. And we use these words that like, <laughs> a lot of times make absolutely no right. sense or like way out of that. So um, I love that, it, you know, I totally agree. And it's, it's, an important reminder to step out of yourself. Yeah. And it's funny because at the very beginning of my career, when I was at um, a smaller startup, I was kind of tasked with doing a lot of cold outreach at the very beginning. And no one told me what to look for. No one told me what tools I would need. So I just started Googling and then I found some CRMs and I tried them out and I learned as I went, but it was a long journey. And right. I had no idea. And a lot of times people will use spreadsheets for CRM instead. And they, they then learn that there's something easier they can use. So um, we always have to go in assuming that pretend your user doesn't know, pretend that you are a brand new product, even though CRM is a very um, saturated category, there is still a major use case for it. And there's so many different ways that CRMs can help that we all have our own uh, use case for those users. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like, um, particularly like what you said about spreadsheets, like I think a lot of us in B2B SaaS are trying to convert or like even not just in B2B, but in general are trying to convert people off of spreadsheets into our system. <laughs> this is right. a very common thing that yeah. uh, right. 
trying to do. And so um, keeping that mindset is really helpful, I think, when we're building out product tours or anything else. Like this person was using a spreadsheet and probably guaranteed <laughs> that like right. they weren't even like an Excel wizard when they were working on this spreadsheet, right? So, um, <laughs> you know, and they're annoyed by all the pop-ups they're getting on you know, consumer sites and other things. So it's just, a, it's a, it's a tough, um, challenge. <laughs> it's a tough challenge. Um, and so that, I mean, I think it's a good segue to, you know, what were some things that might've surprised you about this, ex like building this experience or adding in these like layers of onboarding? Was there something that you thought was going to work mm. that didn't or like something that worked better than you thought it would? Yeah, I think that, what surprised me is the number of people that close out of onboarding flows. <laughs> I think that that's probably like, I'm sure that one of the major questions that you guys get is what's a good benchmark for completing a flow. And I don't oh, think that yeah. there's a good answer for yeah. that because there's two types of people. There's people that really want to be taken through the product and want to know all the ins and outs. And that's kind of what the flows are for. And then there's other people who are going to click X every single time you appear and they're, you're not going to be able to get to them. So there needs to be like more than one way. There's some, sometimes taking a tour through the product is the right way. Sometimes there's other ways to, to go about it, but no matter what your product needs to be simple and intuitive. So uh, basically what surprised me is the number of people that X out because I'm definitely a, a handheld tour kind of person and I, I didn't realize how big the other group was. <laughs> yeah, I totally understand that. I'm actually the other group. So it's oh, kind of funny that I, that I build them, but I think it's a good perspective for somebody right. who builds them because like I am thinking what is the least annoying, least obtrusive, <laughs> interruptive way I can do right. this? Um, you know, sometimes I kind of pivot in the too far in that direction. And, you know, mm. my colleagues are like, can we make this more visible? Can we turn this into something yeah. a little more? And I'm like, okay. But, you know, and I've even gotten to the point sometimes where I've taken like turn flows off or something. And I've had people ask like, can you put that back on? Or is there a way that I can retake that? Uh, so, um, you know, I, I agree. We need some, we need uh, to learn more about that data to fire some good benchmarks and come up with some good Makes benchmarks. Sense. Cause I think they're there. It, it is very complicated. Yeah. Very yeah. complicated personal preference. Yeah. Yes. And that's, I think that's a challenge with onboarding is you got, you got the people like Jessica who, who and like me, sometimes I want to be hand, handheld through something complex. And then you got people like Lila. <laughs> you got people who are just like, leave me alone, man. I just want to shop. You know, imagine like, it's like going to like a supermarket or like a, a clothing store and somebody's like starts following you. <laughs> some people <laughs> want to be followed. Like some people want that, that like white glove service because you feel like a VIP. And then you exactly. got people who are like, what the heck you, you think I'm going to steal something. I just, I just want to shop on, on my own here. And so, that kind of, feeds into like future state of where copper wants to go is have you used a CRM? Mm -hmm. If you have, you know, the drill, let's point out the features you're going to love because you, I know you're shopping for if it does X, Y, Z feature versus you've never used a CRM, you probably need a lot more help. So, I mean, we're not there yet. Our, our onboarding flow works for both sides of the, of the, of the sphere, but it's, it's really future state is there's going to be the people that want to be left alone and the people that want to help. So we, that's probably a good division. Totally. Yeah. And 
I think one of the other things that, you know, one of the challenges with CRM is like kind of getting contacts into the CRM. You talked about <laughs> spreadsheets, but there is this one screen I, I just want to focus on. Probably the last screen I, I want to take a look at here uh, is just uh, no, one of the steps in your in your flows here is let's add some Gmail contacts and get started. So uh, when, when Lila was signing up for this, you can see some of the contacts that she's recently been in touch with. <laughs> Uh, and then that they can add that folks in. Has this been an? I'm get my gut says like this is a great idea. Is this what you're seeing in terms of data? Like it's actually helping people out. Like especially, I'm guessing next to the spreadsheet, the next CRM is probably their email. <laughs> they just use their email as their CRM. Is that is that a fair assumption, or is you have other data that shows that the screen? is working or not working at all? Yeah, so I think that it's it's kind of complex. So there's there's kind of two groups here. There's there's the people that are shopping for a CRM that need to make a recommendation to their C-suite and they sign up for their own personal Gmail account. And we see a lot of those folks come in and we really wanted at the very beginning to show the magic of why you should integrate your Google Workspace account, the actual account that you're going to use it with. Um, because we find that the people that do sign up with Google Workspace are more likely to convert. They're, they have much more intent. So we're still struggling with that a little bit is how can we encourage people to use their work address instead of their Gmail, their personal Gmail. Um, but this is really where we show the magic is that we can see that you've interacted with these people. We know that these are the people that you want in your CRM. So let's just take the heavy lifting and importing off your plate and go ahead and do it. So um, I would say that there's more work to be done on this page where we can really encourage people to use their work email address instead of personal. But at the same time, it's showing how easy it is to use our CRM. Literally click once and all your conversations are going to start flowing in and you don't have to do anything else. Well, that makes sense. Um, sorry, Ramley. There's another um, uh, screen that you have, uh, that uh, the one that I am would love to steal um shamelessly which is the that that one that's the one uh for the listeners this is a um another full page uh mm. after you complete you know their quiz more or less um and it says congratulations now bring the magic of copper into your inbox with our free extension and it's got a nice blue cta that says get our mm. extension and a grayed out one that what skip skips the or skips this and just goes right into the product right jessica yep. yeah um and then there's also a nifty little uh, checkbox at the bottom that says like click here if you want a demo which is super cool mm, um cool. yeah and if you have used app cues before you would know that we also have an extension <laughs> and um <laughs> it is required really to use our product so um I would love to have something mm. like this that really helps folks uh, learn about our extension and how to use it. I think from what I gather, you know, I'm not a copper expert, but I, based on this page, I, in just my limited experience with copper, the extension isn't a required piece, right? It's a bonus. It's like a, makes it better. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does make it better. We can still use it um, because the, the integration with Google happens behind the scenes and you can still log into Copper and send emails and keep track of everything. But we know that 
there's a reason why people use Google Workspace at work. It's because they absolutely love using the Gmail interface. I'm one of them. My past companies have been Outlook and coming over to, to Google um, has been amazing. Yes. So why, why <laughs> do we try to force people to use our interface if they want to use Gmail? So the mm. idea is that the Chrome extension will essentially superpower your inbox mm. where you can essentially do things a lot more faster and, and keep things moving where you kind of want to work. So we're not going to force you to come into copper and send emails. We're going to let you send emails in Gmail and we're going to make it a lot faster for you. So we want to show that that wow moment right here. Um, I guess the other kind of interesting thing about the click here, if you'd like a demo, um, we specifically target people that are kind of in the higher um, person bracket that we would send over to a copper specialist. So if you're a very small company, we wouldn't necessarily show this to you. But if you have six or more people at your company, we definitely want you to go ahead and click to have a demo with a copper specialist who can actually help walk you through your own new trial that you've started. So um, very, very hyper targeted for that group. Awesome. Yeah, that's super cool. Love that. Love this. Yeah. Are you finding that I'm again, I my my assumption here, this helps get more people to install the extension. Is that what the numbers are, are showing that when you added this, like people during the sign up, it's like, oh wow, I just did something awesome. <laughs> now bring the magic. Now bring the I love the word magic of copper into your into your inbox. Is that are you, did you see an increase in in extension insta installations after the screen was impl implemented? Yeah, we see about twenty five percent that will click on the get extension button. Um, but I would say that the at least 50% of our customers are using the Chrome extension at some point or another. So we just want them to use it sooner rather than later. Um, so promoting this as quickly as we can helps. The other kind of interesting thing that we're gonna start playing around with is instead of showing this screen, we're gonna show our mobile app for mm. real estate and construction customers because they are not at their computer. So mm. we're gonna test out to see if having them download our, our mobile app actually helps them because that's the primary way that they're going to be using the product. So um, that's an experiment we'll have. So it'll be interesting to see if we see a higher uptick in, in mobile app usage with those specific customers after the after the fact. Yeah, I love that. Genius. Yeah, same. I, I recall an app, uh, Wave, Wave apps, where they're like the, a financial tool for entrepreneurs. And it's exactly what they do. Like right after you send your first invoice, they're like, congratulations, now get the app installed on your phone. Then they ask for your phone number to send you a link. So I think that's super, yeah. super cool there. It mm -hmm. uh, seems like your your team is doing some really cool stuff with with onboarding, with with uh, product adoption, with different things, with flows. Is there anything particular like you're really excited about trying out next? Uh, is there, like, can, can we take a peek into your, your roadmap or what's coming up <laughs> in terms of like what you want to try uh, that you're super like jazzed about. Yeah, it's it's the it's the segmentation for the different industries because I mean already off the bat we know real estate lives on their phone. They are never at their desk. They are hopefully at open houses uh, selling, uh, so they're always on their phone. So segmenting the entire onboarding process for those customers, and then also using the data that we collect from these steps in the journey to customize it later would be key because right now we we have that data i can see it and it's really interesting for us but how are we actually going to provide value to customers with that data so there needs to be a value exchange there so um 
excited to start working on that piece. But um, the other kind of concern is with more uh, segmentation, more complexity. So you just have to make sure that you are going too crazy and having the flows not land properly or not work properly. So it's, it's a gradual step towards, towards that. Yeah, you're speaking my language a thousand percent. Yeah, I I was just um, actually talking about this in one of our AFQ's workshops, which is like a personalization experience and like branching onboarding and all of these cool things. You get so much data, but don't forget to do something with it. And if you're not <laughs> getting anything out of your branching onboarding and you're still asking people <laughs> to choose what they're going to do, then stop doing that. Mm, like, yeah. If you're not going to use it, if someone can come in and they push a button that they're a marketer and you don't change their experience at all, and then you're not seeing any increase from personalization, then just remove that button right. and try and figure out what most people are here to do or like solve for yeah. like the biggest problem that you have. But um, it sounds like the way you've ex like designed your experience that it's engaging enough that people will go through and take it and you're gathering all this data, but it's not necessarily like it doesn't stop people enough, right? Like this experience is good enough that you can get this data, not necessarily completely customize their entire onboarding yet based on what they've selected. Yeah, it's that's exactly right. And it's funny you say that because we we had a situation um, earlier in, in Q1 where we had we were about to launch a set of new app use flows. And we had designed two different experiences for our people section, an experience for when you have added contacts in the onboarding flow and for the people who didn't. The problem is that good luck segmenting all of your users based on what they did at the beginning. Not that there's anything like it's just it's it's never going to work properly. Um, and the way our product operates is that if there's already contacts, there's a certain way that it looks versus how it looks when you don't add any contacts. So we were getting all worked up about the complexity and then our head of product was like, let's just optimize for the like intent, the high intent user. Like let's go after the people who have uploaded their contacts, see how it performs and we can work on the other one later. Um, but I don't think we've necessarily lost out anything because eventually you add a contact and then everything fires up as it should. So um yeah, it was just, you can get, you can really hyper-focus in the weeds and be worried, oh, what about this user who didn't do it in this exact way? Um, start with the the group that is most engaged and work your way backwards. Totally. Love it. What a great note to go out on. Mm. Jessica, tell us where we can find more about you, what you're working on. Um, don't try and steal her from Copper, but like where, <laughs> what's your, <laughs> people find you on LinkedIn? Um, you know, what else are you working on? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also kind of starting to write some content myself about product-led growth and onboarding yeah. and all that. So yeah, definitely follow me on LinkedIn. Um, and excited to start ramping up that that stuff to talk about our experiences at Copper as well. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Love that. We can't wait to have you back on the show when you've got some of the app segmentation going <laughs> and we got to have round two. You Once you get in me and Ramley's clutches, we're never going to let you go. Never so let me go. Watch Sounds out amazing. world. Watch out world. <laughs> <laughs> once you get into our, That's you funny. know, warm North American arms. It's I just love the it. way it goes. It's just the way it goes. <laughs> Thanks so oh. much. Thanks, Jessica. I really appreciate your time. Uh, and, you know, we will get this up on, on our 
our site, reallygoodux.io, and for people to check it out once uh, once it's out. Jessica, I appreciate your time. Amazing. Yeah, thank you both so much. This was fun. It went really, really well. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, I'm really excited to see. I want to stay in touch for real and see what you're working on. Please don't forget to share me things or flows that you're working <laughs> on. Yeah, for sure, I will. Um, yeah, no, and then, yeah, for sure, Copper, we want to do some more, like, what what's the word thought leadership for product led growth yeah. i mean yeah um, yeah our head of our head You're of product a lot is, of cool stuff yeah our head of product is the one that's driving this like 100% behind the scenes he's really pushing and pushing and pushing so um it, it's just how do we explain the stuff that we're working on um and also trying to sell it to new customers because that's always the harder thing to do um is to say hey look our, our trial experience has changed come back and check us out i mean how do you yeah. how do you market that right you don't it's not a feature you can market but yeah so we're, we're trying to figure that out now so that's what's next reactivations yeah exactly don't talk about enough it's something we don't talk about enough in SAS, but yeah yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> clearly we could go on all day yeah that's true <laughs> we gotta end this show thank you so much i am gonna end the broadcast and chat some more after.